Okay, we're back. Uh, good local time to you, sir. Sam Foreman, uh, one of the founders from Sturdy.Finance. Welcome, sir. It's fantastic to have you here. Thank um, you. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. I've uh, just been hearing quite a lot about what you guys have been doing. I know that you, you've you been busy. You've been quietly like chipping away. You've done something quite unique. You guys launched a project. You didn't launch a token. Goodness me, how did you manage to do that? Uh, 25 million, what? 20, it's close to 25 million in TVL on your yep. protocol. Tell us a bit about yourself, what you guys have been doing, who you are. You know, do you have any samurai swords on your table? What's what's your vibe, sir? Yeah, um, cool. Well, thanks again for having me on. My name's Sam. I'm the founder of Sturdy. Um, my personal background, I'm like a total math and computer science geek. I've been interested in cryptography since I was in high school. And that's really how I got into to crypto. Um, initially, I was kind of abrasive that crypto stole cryptography's namesake, but uh, came around over time, um, was like vaguely familiar with crypto during DeFi summer, uh, but then really started getting into it in early 2021. Um, and then ended up uh, starting Sturdy about nine months later um, in, in late 2021. Uh, and, and like I mentioned, my background's in cryptography. Um, and, and so that was how I, I initially got into it. But really fell in love uh sort of with the applications and lending in particular so in terms of your i mean you've you haven't been around for very long and you kind of like you're essentially like in the deep end now with with this bear market that we're currently experiencing at the moment um how are you finding that i mean it's like you know you obviously hear all these stories i know that we kind of like not getting to the point of sturdy but i'm really interested to find out like what are your thoughts around kind of like being in the space right now, being relatively new to this whole idea of a market that's turned, I mean, how are you? What is your perception around it, and what are your thoughts around kind of like the the lunacy that's currently going on, particularly on crypto, crypto Twitter? Because I mean, we we definitely will agree on that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think I started Sturdy right around like the top, so it's kind of been, uh, you know, the only environment that I'm really familiar with is like the one we're currently in. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think it's definitely been uniquely challenging um, to to build and grow. You know, especially I think as you mentioned, we're a project without a token right now, uh, and so for you know, there's no like kind of liquidity mining incentives or anything like that. Uh, and so it's difficult. It's like an uphill battle to grab mine share. But I think it's also really useful because there's no kind of crutches uh, or, or training wheels here. There's the only way to grow is to build something that users want and that meets their needs. And so it's really forced us to like innovate and constantly shift um, based on, on what users demand until we've really gotten something right. Yeah. So have you guys, I mean, have you managed to, to kind of like figure out like on your own, like, okay, this is something, this is a strategy we're going to do, or is it something that's just kind of played out where you know, we've got funds, we've managed to raise some funds, we've, we've we started this project, and now we're in the middle of this bear market. But you know what, it's fine, because we, we, we're continuing to just do what it is that we're doing. Or have you had to rethink the way that you've approached things? Yeah, we've definitely made small pivots, you know, and I'm sure we'll get deeper into sturdy. But when we first started out, uh, our model was different from what it is now, it was really more about, um, enabling like high yield lending and interest-free borrowing uh specifically for like 
like to enable borrowers to get spot levered. So they might be able to like borrow USDC against their ETH at 0% interest. Uh, and we've moved away from that in favor of leveraged yield farming. Uh, we, and it's yeah. kind of similar mechanically, but the assets we're supporting are much different, how we're framing it's different. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of changes that we've had to make in part because that's what we've heard from users. Awesome. So you guys have obviously dialed into your community. Community said, listen, this is what we need. Um, that's actually really cool because, I mean, I've spoken to a number of projects where, you know, the community has gone quiet on them. And it's not because they don't have a great relationship. It just kind of, it almost was like a, like their community saying that, listen, we don't actually see a use in your protocol in the current moment in time. And I think that's like a really difficult like space to navigate, you know, like your community says, well, we don't really think your protocol is really that relevant. You're going to have to rethink entirely what it is that you're doing, or we're just going to have to wait for, like you said. I mean, you described it beautifully for those crutches, you know. And um, okay, so you started, how long have you guys been going for now? Exactly. Yeah, so we've been on ETH mainnet since uh, about March of 2022. Okay, so it's still very much early days for you guys. I mean, it seems like you have kind of like been through the storms. I mean, we are going into the new year. Yeah, you, you're still around. You've got great TVL. I mean, that's what speaks, you know, we could, you know, we could, we could carry on about how amazing you guys are. But at the end of the day, it's like TVL's there. And that's, that's awesome. So well done on that. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So where did you guys? Okay, so I think just on the basics, let's get stuck into, you know, what exactly is sturdy? I mean, you've touched on it, but let's let's start at the beginning and then just work through you know, what it is that you guys do and how are you doing it? Yeah, so we are a new kind of lending protocol that enables users to get leverage yields on farms in protocols like Convex and Yearn. Um, and so the way we accomplish this is by supporting staked assets as collateral. So on Sturdy, you can use like a Convex LP token or uh, like Yearn LP token as collateral. Um, and I'll just kind of use Convex as an example from here on out. So uh, you might use your like, Convex uh, Fracture USDC as collateral. Borrow stable coins against that position and then lever up, right? So you put those like stable coins back into Convex, which you'd use as collateral as sturdy and, and you know, kind of loop from there. And uh, one of the things that makes sturdy really unique is rather than paying a fixed interest rate on that loan or kind of like a set percentage um, that you have to pay, instead you forego a portion of the yield. So it's almost like a we call it kind of a decentralized yield farming fund model where you might be forgoing like 40% of the yield, right? Um, okay. And what happens is, is that that yield then goes back to the lender who's supplying the USDC that you're borrowing in order to lever up. And so you have these two sides. You have these borrowers who are tend to be larger size um, and a little bit more advanced who are deploying borrowed funds into farms like Convex. Uh, which they're using on Sturdy as collateral to lever up. So instead of earning, you know, maybe uh, 3% APY on Convex, they can get up to 10x leverage on Sturdy. Um, and even if they're foregoing half of that, that's still 15% APY, which is super competitive. Uh, and then on the lender side, they're earning a portion of that yield um, from that Convex farming. And right now, I think it's been sitting around 5 to 6%. Well, wow, that's actually really compelling. I mean, I think the the natural question to ask is like, 
what is the risk you know like how extensive is the risk in this whole thing and then how 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 have you guys managed kind of like the liquidations and 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 the aspects around that so could you i mean we might as well just get into it i mean that is the 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 crux of the whole thing at the end of the day you know it's kind of like it's all good and well that you're going to get your 10x but you know what are the extent extent of the risks around that and then how do you guys manage the liquidations yeah so beyond the normal smart contract risks you also have this third party contract risk uh so as i mentioned like we interact with convex for example and so if convex were exploited uh, in the particular pool that we're supporting it would affect both lenders and borrowers on sturdy uh, and so to mitigate that, we're super conservative with who we integrate. Right now on ETH mainnet, um, and I, I should correct, I, we actually launched in June 2022. We launched on Phantom uh, in March initially. But on ETH mainnet, we only integrate um, Convex and Lido right now. We're going to add Aura. And on Phantom, we only integrate Yearn at the moment. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot higher APY farms if you want. Like we yeah. could get really degen with it, but we don't. We intentionally keep it kind of very small to, to assets that pass our risk framework. Um, then I think a second risk is if you're levering up and there's a DPEG, you will get liquidated. So I mentioned this example use case earlier where you can use your convex for XBPA as collateral and take out like USDC as a loan uh, and lever up that way. But if FRAX DPEGs, um, you know, even like 10% and you're at 10X leverage, you're going to get liquidated. And so that's definitely a risk to be cognizant of if you're a borrower and using the leverage feature. And then I think the last thing you asked about was liquidations. And our liquidation mechanism is pretty similar to Aave or Compound in that anyone can be a liquidator. It's totally decentralized. Uh, and generally, you know, the in practice, we don't, like we run our own bots, but we don't win most of the liquidation. So it's third parties usually doing it. Um, and the, the liquidator uh, essentially receives a portion of the collateral and then repays the borrower's loan uh, in return. So so they're kind of profiting because the portion of collateral they receive is greater than uh, the, the size of the loan that they're repaying. Um, kind of the twist that makes Sturdy different uh, is that before liquidation, we immediately unstake the asset, right? So we would unstake it from Convex so that the liquidator is receiving the Curve LP. Um, and that's all of our staking is completely liquid, right? So there's um, there's no, uh, it's not like we do the convex staking where it takes two weeks to unwind, for example. Okay. So, I mean, what I find interesting about, you know, the, the whole, the whole mechanic around, you know, especially like with Frax is that, is there a way to, to develop something or to have a mechanism that would essentially almost be like, I don't know if the right word is is like a cushion or kind of like a buffer that would prevent, you know, like that 10% move to kind of like mitigate that 10% move over a period of time to allow for, you know, the peg to reintroduce itself. Because for me, that seems like quite a big risk, you know. So if I'm like doing this and I'm and 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 I'm wanting to get involved, I mean Frax has been really good. I mean, we've we've seen some really good results from Frax. I mean, I'm not surprised that you guys chose that um but i'm just curious is there like a liquidation engine that could be potentially developed that could es essentially take up a period of time where it is a buffer that prevents you know like an immediate liquidation around a dpeg especially when you know the dpeg isn't going to land up being a long-term thing yeah well i think that's the question is how would you develop a mechanism that 
only you know provides that cushion because if you had that for something like ust it would have been really devastating for lenders um and so right now we don't have that uh we do partial liquidations though so 50 percent of your position gets liquidated at uh, maximum so um there's that there's a couple interesting twists you can do though so one thing that i've been thinking a lot about is making it so an asset like frax can be borrowed and why that's interesting is as a borrower, if you're like levering against Frax USDC and you're borrowing Frax and Frax DPEGs, you actually wouldn't get liquidated um, because your debt is nominated in Frax as well. And so they kind of both your assets and your debt lower uh, equally. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot you could do uh, potentially like potentially spinning up um, a new almost like instance of the protocol that is all unliquidatable. That's something that I've been thinking about a little bit. It's not on the short-term roadmap now, but I think um, if we figured out a way to pull that off, it'd be really uh, compelling. I think that, I mean, because at the end of the day, it's like you don't want to lose customers, right? At the end of the day, it's like you want to keep your customers. You You don't necessarily want them to be liquidated, especially if they're going to stick around for the long term, you're going to end up probably making a lot more money out of the process through fees and the rest of it. So it's almost like a liquidation engine that protects in 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 short periods or over a short period of time. You know, when you get a DPEG or if you get, you know, market instability, it would be interesting to see how the space evolves, um, you know, around more sophisticated li- liquidation engines that kind of manage that. And then you charge people a premium for it. It's kind of like we've we've developed this thing. It's like super cool. You know, it's big brand stuff. You won't get liquidated outright with, you know, rapid market movements, but it's going to land up costing you a little bit extra. Um, are you happy with that? And I promise you, every single one of us would be like, cool, bring it on, you know? Um, so yeah, it'll be I interesting think, to see. Yeah. I think the issue is on the lender side where, like, if I'm lending USDC to Sturdy and I, you know, I, there's this mechanism that doesn't guarantee solvency. Um, to me, that that would be concerning uh, if okay. I had any kind of doubts about the collateral. Uh, so I, I mean, that's the only thing. I think it's a trade-off. Is you're you're balancing. I totally agree from a borrower's perspective. That's awesome. That you know, I'm not yeah. getting liquidated. But then for for the lender, it's like, oh, you know, what happens if the you know I, the, it keeps going down and then I don't get my funds back? So it, it's just uh, yeah. yeah, you know, playing that balancing act. Cool. Well, we'll definitely check in. And maybe in a year's time, maybe in six months' time, I'm going to get a message from you on Telegram. Listen, dude, I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I'm curious. I'm I'm really curious around um, why Phantom initially. What was the thinking around Phantom? I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but I'd like to just get into that because obviously Andre Andre posted that Medium article a few days ago, which I found really interesting in terms of how. You know he's now stepping into a different role, but let, let's just go back to why you guys were looking at Phantom from the onset. Yeah, I mean, if you remember back to like March 2022, I think Phantom flipped like Avalanche and maybe even Solana in terms of TVL. It was really big, um, yeah. and there were the yields were also super compelling. So initially, like we what we were building is a little bit different from today. It was more it, we were still using staked assets as collateral, but it was like staked FTM, and then you would borrow USDC. 
Um, and so it's a different use case from a borrower's perspective and demand for that kind of leverage actually went down quite a bit. And so that's part of why we pivoted. But for those yields, Phantom was uh, very compelling at the time. Like Yearn had fantastic yields for all the Phantom blue chips. Um, so it was kind of that combination. It was like very hot uh, in terms of TVL growth. And then the yields for collateral assets were extremely compelling relative to stable coins, which based on kind of the model at the time uh, was something that made sense for us. Yeah, I mean, I think that what I'm finding really interesting is that that back then it was like an obvious thing. You know, you had Avalanche, you had, you had Phantom, you know, you, you had like Metis was still trying to find it. Well, it, it, it was really like it, it kind of like hit a brick wall on onset and then it was like finding its feet in March. Um, and I think in many ways it still is finding its feet as an ecosystem. And now you've obviously got Arbitrum and that's my next question. When Arbitrum? I mean, what's what's the thinking around that? I mean, I see you smiling. It seems to be maybe something that's, that you guys are looking at. What's happening yes. there? Yes. Uh, it is definitely something we have been considering. Uh, and I've gotten a bunch of messages about that recently, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the for our, our roadmap, we're building towards this release, which is going to come out uh, about two weeks from today uh, on December 20th. Uh, called Sturdy 1.0. And so we'll talk about that. There's a bunch of new features there. Um, but then at some point after that is probably when we'll, we'll launch an Arbitrum. The great thing about our model is that it's um, very easily reproducible on other chains and it's very novel. Like it's not just going to be sturdy on ETH, but lower fees will be integrating new projects. So you can imagine like GLP yeah. or um, I, I think, uh, yeah, like Rage, which I know is integrating with uh, GLP now uh, for a Delta neutral vault. Um, and, and so, yeah, like I think there will be totally novel strategies uh, that I'm really excited about because there is, as you mentioned, so much cool stuff going on in that ecosystem right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's where's, where's the money flowing? You know, where's the liquidity? Who's accessing it? Who's interested in what products? And obviously, you know, at the moment, like the whole, the whole thing is around GMX and GLP and um, you know, the success that they've kind of cultivated in this market. And it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, you guys use those products. I mean, I'm dying to see. It's going to be really, it really is what's going to change. I think the next the next narrative for, you know, the next bull market. You know, the last bull market was all about Ponzi's. It was all about, you know, these, these crazy ideas that everyone knew were, were unsustainable, but we were too busy having fun and too busy making money and crashing and burning that we didn't really think of like the long-term player on this thing, you know, like how do we extend these ideas? And, you know, obviously the kind of stuff that you guys are doing now, and I'm really interested to hear about, you know, sturdy 1.0, that should be 2.0, but we'll get into that. Um, is how you guys, I mean, are you guys looking at this thing of a perspective around we're going to create a network of possibilities that we can incorporate other projects into what it is that we're doing? Or is it just going to be, well, we'll use your assets or your collateral and, you know, we'll we'll feed into that liquidity and then we'll offer the service off our doorstep. How are you guys looking at this thing from a business perspective, business plan perspective? Yeah, I think definitely the integrations with our partners, a lot of them have been very multifaceted. So I'll give you an example. Um, I mentioned that we're soon going to be integrating Aura, which is kind of like Convex for Balancer. 
Um, and so a, like our main integration is going to be that you can lever up. And so you'll be able to, for example, get like 10 X leverage on or STE. And so you'll get insane yields on your, your staked ETH. I'm super excited about that. Um, but then we're also integrating like balance or flash loans. Um, and what that, why we do that is so that you can lever up in a single click, uh, and they have feedless flash loans as well. So. Um, rather than like, I kind of mentioned that example earlier where it's like you're depositing convex LPs, borrowing against that, you know, depositing that to convex. That's actually not how you would do it in practice. We have a slider and you can just slide it up one click, you're done. Um, and then we're also uh, going to have a balancer LP where you can like deposit sturdy USDC, sturdy DAI, sturdy uh, USDT, which are like the, the staked versions of those assets in sturdy. Uh, and, and swap between them and also like gain access to all of those yields simultaneously. So totally, I, I think with each of our partners, um, there are multiple levels to the ways that we integrate them and the way that they integrate us. So are you looking at each project? Well, at each, at, at, are you looking at each partner that you guys get into business with as a unique approach? It's kind of like, well, the product, uh, for example, if we look at GLP, GLP has a staking mechanism. Obviously, it's very similar to, you know, staking on other protocols. But is it going to be a different approach, or is it a similar approach to the way that you incorporate that into Sudi? I see. So it's roughly similar. Um, I mean, in on like a technical level, there are definitely some bespoke pieces just based on whatever the staking uh, and unstaking mechanisms are. Um, yeah. But generally, it, it's pretty similar in that, like the borrower, you know, as soon as they deposit the asset, we automatically stake it. Um, and then we harvest the yield every 24 hours. And, and it's kind of that okay. yield is split between the borrower and the lender. Okay, gotcha. Um, so tell us about why it's version 1.0. And what's the thinking behind, you know, what you guys had originally built as a foundation and how are things going to be different going forward now? Yeah, totally. Um, so the reason why we called it 1.0 is we really see this as just getting to the starting line. Even though I mentioned we've been on ETH mainnet since June, um, the product has matured so much since then and is still maturing. But kind of with this release, we really view this as, OK, we have this thing that users really seem to like. We've refined it. And with this kind of release, we'll be a, a version that we're incredibly proud of, that we can stand behind, that we're uh, confident that you know, users enjoy and, and fits a real need for them. Um, right now, we're the largest lending protocol on Ethereum with no token. And we've kind of got in there through that focus on delivering things that users want. Um, so th that's kind of why the name is, we see it as the starting point for us. Uh, we're from a product perspective, I'm like, it's a, a zero to one improvement. Uh, the UI is just so much better than what we have now. And I'm really excited to start showing that off. Um, in terms of what the release itself will contain, there's really three big components that I can share publicly right now, um, as well as some things that you'll hear more about in the days leading up to it. Um, the first is a totally new UI, as I mentioned, and we'll be like kind of sharing screenshots, but way more intuitive. Um, my goal with this was to make it so that you can understand how Sturdy works without having to read the docs. And that's a tall uh requirement i think it's histority is a little bit complex and DeFi in general is complex yeah uh, but i'm really proud of how we we did and i think we're, you know we're going to be making it even better based on feedback from users over time so that's one is the new ui two is the eth market i mentioned so right now 
you can only lend stablecoins on Sturdy and get leverage on stablecoin denominated assets like Curve, Fracture USDC, and, and similar, uh, you know, kind of convex LPs. But users also want, you know, great ETH yields and leverage on ETH denominated assets. I mentioned Aura, WSD ETH, uh, like convex ST ETH, other assets like that, convex uh, or I think Aura R ETH once they come out with the Chainlink Oracle for that. Um, so yeah, that, that's two is that ETH market. Three is more security features. So for example, we'll be releasing our third audit, this one from Quantstamp. Uh, yeah, and then there's some other fun surprises that we will be announcing in the coming weeks. You know, um, thanks for sharing that. I wanted to just quickly tap into kind of like something that's seemingly a small aspect of this whole thing, because it's something that people don't really talk about is obviously, you know, the security audit that goes into, you know, into a project. And, and it's probably not a question that, you know, I would necessarily ask somebody, and, and I'm sure it's it's not a question that you would get asked a lot of the time, because it's, it's kind of like this multifaceted kind of like Pandora's box, and people don't quite understand it. And it I mean, in all intents and purposes, you know, as as a geek, it's it's the most wonderful thing, you know, from a security aspect, you know, audits and the rest of it, it's it's great because I've recently started researching this 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 topic, and it does my head in for what it's worth. It really does my head in, but I'm just curious in terms of Sturdy's approach to this whole thing, how you how do you approach the auditing aspect of this business? Um, you know, is it just I got a recommendation from a friend and, you know, we're going to just go with a company or is there a due diligence process that you undergo where you actually put the company that's doing this audit to task based on certain criteria? I mean, what is your methodology around around the audit and the way that you approach it? Yeah, I mean, one of the nice things is that they at this point, they all have pretty extensive public track records. So you can go and see um, part of it's like a proxy, like if. Ave and MakerDAO have hired these guys. They're probably pretty good, like if they've, especially if they've done it more yeah. recently. Um, and so it helps when they have a track record of working with great projects. Uh, one, like two, is making sure that um, like have the projects that they've audited been exploited, right? And the code that they've audited in particular. Um, and so I think that is super important to look at. Uh, and then three, I think also looking at the reports themselves, like how thorough are they? Um, a lot of times they'll talk about their methodology in pretty decent detail. So you can learn about um, like how many auditors are looking at it. What approaches are they doing? Is it manual, uh, you know, some kind of like formal analysis? Uh, and, and so, yeah, like just understanding what their approach is. But yeah, I think it's a combination of that. And there's also just like a general sense of the reputation, um, whether that be from like other projects or, uh, you know, what, what you read on crypto Twitter. But yeah, it's definitely tough. I mean, I think... There's a, at this point, there's like a, a solid set of reputable firms. Um, one of the hardest things is the the wait times, uh, which have come down a ton since when we were yeah, launching in yeah, March. Yeah. Um, yeah. But still, you know, it, it's it's a different development process, right? Because you need to have the code like frozen months ahead of time and then submit it and then make these changes. And so it, it just makes the iterative cycle uh, that much longer. Have you heard of an... Have you heard of a, a website and essentially an auditing? I don't know. It's not really. A, they're not a company. Um, they're called Code for Arena. Where yes, what do not you only have we we heard of them, but we also used them for our, our awesome. Okay, 
Yeah. So um, for for people that are listening and that are viewing, Code for Arena essentially is it's like a it's almost like it's it's a league. It's a it's essentially you participate in some kind of a league where projects put up money and it's a competition between between parties to see who can find vulnerabilities in the code. And then that becomes like a bounty that gets given out to is it like the top three, top five, top person who finds an exploit? How does it how does that work, Sam, from a from a collective perspective? Yeah, basically there's different categories. So there's like medium, you know, high, low levels of uh severity. And then if you report, you know, in the highest and it's gets approved, you know, it turns out that it's correct, it's a valid exploit, then you'll get this much money and you know, so on. There's nice. like a pool that yeah. gets split between all the the correct submissions. So you guys did code for arena and you obviously got someone to come in and do like a bespoke audit school. Well, that kind of puts it to rest for me in terms of you guys covering all your bases. Thank you, sir. I would never have asked this question in the past. Um, no, you know, I think but it's, it's super important. Yeah, it is. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of the exploits that are happening at the moment are just obvious, you know, it just seems like a lot of the stuff that's come out it was always there. It was been exposed. Well, it's been present for months and no one actually picked up on it. And just because someone didn't want to pay the money, um, you know, the project loses millions of dollars. Anyways, um, just out of curiosity, why not Uni V3 in terms of doing something with them? Yes, I think we very likely will in the future. Okay. We haven't heard a ton of demand for that. I think on like a risk adjusted basis, the yields on convex tend to be better for better. Uh, like stable pairs. So if you're, you know, like the USDC die pair on uni isn't doing nearly uh, what um, like a, a similar pair would do on convex. Um, and so, you know, that, that's something to consider. I think what will be interesting is if there's demand for like a USDC ETH LP uh, on uni to be used as collateral, either, you know, kind of borrowed against, uh, or I guess, you know, using that as collateral to borrow USDC or ETH or, you know, which one and kind of levering up because the yields on that are a lot more compelling. Um, but there's also a lot more risk, right? Because then the liquidation, it's not just a DPEG, it's a fluctuation in price. And so there's, there's a, yeah. you know, there's a ton more uh, of risk there. And so, um, yeah, I have some ideas about how we could do that, like some kind of structured product that could manage the liquidation risk over time and like close the position of it if it's getting risky. Um, so it's something that's on our roadmap for sure. In terms of um, non-US dollar stable coins, is that something that, 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 has come up on your radar? What What is the the thinking around that at the moment? Yeah, there hasn't been a ton of demand for that. I think the USD stable coins are still by far the most popular. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then there's also like all the ETH use cases too. And so I think after like stable coins, ETH is the most popular asset for getting yields. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously Circle got into... You know the euro, the non obviously non US dollar euro being obviously the next primary one. I think you know in terms of the projects that we've been speaking to, um, DFX was one of them. They 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 pretty much cover all the currencies, and they've seen quite a bit of demand. You know, so I think you know going forward, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I mean, there's a big there's a lot of people that that have 
you know, this this idea that stable coins are going to be the biggest market share going forward, you know, whether it's in six months, a year, it doesn't matter. And it seems plausible, you know, whether it's the Aussie dollar, the euro, US dollar, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and then you, how you guys obviously structure your offerings into the future. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, my next question, um, in terms of, you know, the different strategies that, that, you know, people can get into. So kind of like, you know, obviously a part of a part, a big part of, you know, kind of like the DeFi thing. And, you know, obviously as a bunch of DJs, there's always kind of like the, the gamification side of it. Have you seen like, like interesting strategies that have come out of this whole thing, just through leverage, through, through, you know, through this process and how people are maximizing their returns, you know, with maximum risk versus, you know, low risk. I mean, what's kind of played out over the last few months in terms of what you guys have observed? Just really interesting yeah. to hear. You know, it's a great question. And really what we observed is initially that's what we thought. We thought it was going to be very complex, but it turns out that most people um, really are, want a relatively simple set of strategies. And I actually think this is our biggest advantage over competitors is that rather than being kind of disparate uh, and enabling a lot of different strategies, we only enable a few, but we're really good at the ones we enable. Um, so I'll give you an example. There's like this like convex leverage I mentioned, and we noticed that people were like depositing and borrowing, and it was taking you know doing that manually and taking like twenty steps and a thousand dollars in gas. And so at that point, that was when we were like, oh, let's just make this one click automated. Uh, and so that way they they don't have to do that. And I think you could literally see on our TVL graph. Like it made a huge difference for us uh, when we enable that, even though it's like the same thing, it's just a convenience feature, uh, but it made a big difference. And so, yeah, a lot of it has been just like looking at common user patterns and building features around that. Um, and it, it's funny you mentioned gamification because that's something that I've been thinking about a lot um, and how we can kind of improve that. Uh, and that's another thing that I think 1.0 along with the community will be trying to build is uh, you know, making, seeing who's the most like elite farmer on sturdy and, and that kind of thing, because it's, uh, I think it's a huge part, like users, they're not just making money, but they, they're really into DeFi because it's fun and interesting and they get some entertainment value out of it. So, I mean, I want to get into that because I think like, you know, the whole idea of leaderboards and, you know, like almost, there's almost like an accountability to, you know, what it is that people are doing on the protocol, I think there's definitely a scope for that. I mean, that's like another another page on your UR that you could incorporate and could be super fun, you know, from that perspective. And then you can reward people who do that. And then it's like encourages more degeneracy, not in a negative way, but, you know, more like more creative thinking around how, how guys can essentially like gamify this thing to the next level. And, and seeing where it lands up, because at the end of the day, we are experimenting here. You know, DeFi is... This, this very interesting experimentation around, you know, how how do we make money work in a constructive, positive way that's sustainable and, you know, people benefit from the whole thing as opposed to just banks, you know, and, and how banks have benefited for the last few thousand, few hundred years or whatever the case is. Um, I wanted to ask a question around, like, if I wanted to 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 get involved, like, from a, from another, so layer zero, is that something that you guys have looked into in terms of like 
offering your product in a layer zero context and say, guys, um, have you spoken to the layer zero guys? Because say now, for example, I have a whole lot of liquidity that's sitting on on Arbitrum right now, you know, and I, and I don't want to bridge. Is there an opportunity for you guys to be able to actually incorporate, you know, that liquidity into, you know, this lending and borrowing mechanism that you guys have got through the layer yeah. zero thing? Is it something that you've considered? Yeah, I've thought about it a little bit. To be honest, it kind of scares me um, doing too much like the cross chain lending um, because it makes the attack surface so much larger and it makes it so like even if one bridge goes down on one chain, then like your whole um, protocol could be compromised potentially. And so for me, it's it's not something that I think uh, we'll be considering in the near term because it's still relatively new. Uh, I, this is something that Aave is rolling out as part of their V3. And so, you know, if they're able to pull this off with tens of billions of dollars for a period of many months, um, then I, I think then that's something we would take more seriously. But this is one of the areas where I'm okay not being the innovator and like the one to push the yeah. envelope. I, I think we'll kind of let someone else do that. Uh, and if it ends up working and it, it's secure and there's like best practices at that point, it's probably something that we would take another look at. And of course, we're... Uh, you know, as governance becomes more decentralized, it won't be up to me. Um, but yeah. So that was, that was, that was this, I've got, essentially I've got two questions. First question is that, you know, you guys managed to get this project going kind of towards the tail end of the bull market. You, you're still in business. Clearly you guys are, are generating fees. You are, you're able to, are you guys sustainable at the moment or are you still reliant on a, kind of like a funding mechanism from your raise that you're relying on from a, you know, like in terms of what your runway is, or are you guys yeah. pretty much self-sufficient self or not? No, we're yet? not profitable. We're not profitable yet, like net salaries. Okay. okay. So, and then in terms of where you guys are at, because the reason why I'm asking that is that you guys never approached this thing from a raise that generated a token so that the token could then obviously create this marketability thing for you guys. How have you approached that that from a from a business model perspective? Is it has it always been your intention to create a business that would generate enough fees to, to create a sustainable business? Or is there possibly a little bit of alpha here around a token being released later on uh, in your in your in your journey? Yeah, I've always thought about it more from like a product perspective in terms of why we haven't released a token to date, um, because I think it's possible to build a really large protocol that doesn't have product market fit um, if you have a token and you're just like releasing incentives. I think it um, by getting to where we are without a token, we've kind of proven that there's some level of demand for what we're building, because otherwise there'd be no reason for them to to for our users to be deposited uh, and sturdy. And so, yeah, that's how I've thought about it. I'm less kind of uh, thinking about the business case. I'm very confident that that will like come together um, in part because we're generating a good amount of fees without focusing on monetization. And so I think uh, over time, I mentioned this idea of like building out structured products. So making it so that we're managing uh, users can like do one click leverage, but they're also liquidation protected. So we'll automatically wind down their position. We can like allocate between different state collateral assets, that sort of thing. And on that, that's a product where we can take much higher fees because, uh, you know, it's kind of more advanced. It might be like 
30% APY or something. And so, you know, to take yeah. three or 4% off of that is really still not much. Um, yeah, but I, I think in terms of like sustainability, that's something that's super important and something that as we like grow is going to become even more of a focus. I think that's, I think it's really interesting because I honestly don't think that I have spoken to many projects that released a product that had an intention to create a sustainable model around the pure business case, which is what it, clearly what it is that your strategy is here. So I find that to be remarkable, especially in this space. And But it's so bloody obvious, isn't it? You know, like we kind of have, the, have this expectation that, okay, well, they're going to release a token and, you know, it's going to be vested and all this like crazy stuff, which actually isn't really necessary because all that is, it's kind of like this excuse to try and generate a whole lot of like hype and market capability when in in reality it's not really needed because are we fulfilling a need yes we are what is that need while well, it's x y and z lending and borrowing with leverage so you can be as much of a degen as you want if that's what you want you don't need a token to do that and then we'll create a whole lot of products around that so i mean that's essentially the summary here and if we wanted to if we wanted to launch a token, we could, but we're not because we want to ultimately create a business that can do all these things on multiple ecosystems and we can make some really good money out of this thing and we can offer a service that people want. That's essentially what I'm reading into this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's how I've been thinking about it. I think, I mean, maybe it's represent the flip side a little bit. I do think even though people meme about governance, it is still pretty important. Uh, like, I, I don't love the fact that right now it's kind of me and the team deciding on things like parameters and new collateral assets, because we are not like the ultimate stakeholders, right? The users who have their, their like funds on the platform are. And so obviously we always consult with them. We always like have community calls and pose these kind of questions to the community. But I do think that, um, it, it's become more and more important to have like formal process for that sort of thing uh, yes. as opposed to what it is now which is kind of like ad hoc and the team making that decision so i understand i mean today i'm very happy with how we've done and the way we've operated uh without a token and i think i i would recommend it for you know if, if i were doing it again i would do it the exact same way but yeah. i do think that as you grow and kind of um, attain product market fit there are tons of benefits to releasing a token i think sam You've obviously spoken to, you know, the, the, the long-term goal of what it is that you want to take out of this thing. So, I mean, what is the long-term kind of like, what is your, I mean, dream is kind of like a, a, a bit of a cheesy thing to say, but what is your ultimate goal with this project now? Right now, when you look at the horizon, what is it that you want to achieve with this, with, with Sturdy? Yeah, great question. Um, so, I would frame it like this. I would say that if you are a trader right now in crypto, there are a ton of really easy ways for you to get leverage, right? Like you could go on Binance, um, you could go on GMX, you could go on DYDX. Uh, and those are all like very good experiences that will support a range of use cases um, and different user archetypes. If you are a DeFi farmer, uh, you know, farming yield, there are very few ways for you to get leverage, right? I mean, now they're sturdy. We have some like competitors like sentiment. Um, 
but there's still like, you know, we're all pretty new uh, and pretty limited. And, and so really my goal is for Sturdy to be the go-to place to, for like DeFi's best yield farmers to, to get leverage and kind of grow. Um, that's really what I want to see uh, happen. And I think we've talked somewhat about how to get there. I think there's some other cool things we can do um, with like synthetic assets uh, and, and making, Anyway, I don't want to get too much into it, but uh, I, I think so that, that, that's synthetic kind of like the high-level Synthetic assets are like a big thing because yeah. it's something that this that is definitely one of the next chapters that will be written in the space. It's like how do we bring in, you know, Tesla, and how do we bring in all these other instruments that are out there into the DeFi space, and then use those whether it's leverage, whether it's trading, it doesn't really matter. It's like synthetic assets are definitely something that people are working on and i think in the next bull market there'll be a thing absolutely and then from the from the governance perspective it seems like you guys you'd love to be in a position where you know you you obviously still have a part to play but you don't want to be the one that's making the decisions you want to be putting that up to community and all that kind of thing i mean it seems like it's something that you feel quite strongly about obviously your background and why you were interested in that does that fall in line with you know letting the community take charge um, let them make the mistakes and let's go along for the ride. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's exactly right. Uh, and just, yeah, making sure that the, the stakeholders are the ones who uh, kind of have that that voice through a, a very formal process. Um, because, yeah, right now, like there are certain assets that I'm kind of the team is personally borderline on, right, where we think, like something like convex mim or something like that right where it's like yeah. well it's good like yields are really compelling but there's also i'd say it's like probably riskier than the other assets we support right now like what's the right call right and maybe borrowers love that and maybe lenders don't like it it's like and so how do we navigate that and i think the answer is that we don't navigate that we let them do it uh and kind of let democracy went out in a, a transparent process um so yeah i i think totally exactly what you said is spot on yeah um so i mean are we saying that well are you saying that in terms of releasing a token it's not completely out of the question it's something that might happen in the future it's obviously not something that you guys are thinking of doing now maybe it will be sturdy version three or four but it's is that something that could come up on the roadmap in the future or is it just something that you guys haven't really considered so no, i'm trying to get uh... i'm trying to get some alpha here sam just, just, just <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely on the, the roadmap for sure. Okay, cool. Um, is there like anything out there right now, like in terms of innovation and in terms of product that you that you looking at? Well, when you look out and you see what what at the moment impresses you, like two or three or even one project that you really like look at and say, wow, these guys have really got stuff right here. And you're not allowed to say GMX because everyone says that. Is there anything else besides GMX or any others that you like take your hat off in terms of what it is that they've done? Yeah, um, I think that's fine. I was going to say GMX, uh, <laughs> so you you got me there. Um, <laughs> I mean, even okay, this is a little bit cheating, but some of the projects built on top of GMX I think are cool. I, I know Rage Trade. Uh, is, yeah. I just saw their new announcement. I think that's super interesting. I would say Arbitrum in general. I'm super impressed with. And mm -hmm. I think it, uh, for if no other reason than the fact that they haven't released a token, but have been doing incredibly well from an ecosystem. And I don't know if we've seen anyone 
pull that off to the degree they have like since mm-hmm. ethereum mainnet like it's been super impressive and the fact that they're competing with all of these other chains that do have these massive incentives i think is impressive so i i'm super uh yeah I, i'm very excited about what they're doing and i think if such when they do release a token i, I think it's just gonna like absolutely supercharge it uh mm-hmm. even more to where they are today it's almost like what I find really interesting about that is because Grant interviewed uh, Mr. Saunders. I don't call him by his first name. It's definitely Mr. Saunders. He he deserves the title of Mr. And soon it will be Sir Saunders. But I mean, he's really like, you know, from a marketing, marketing perspective, I actually think in many ways, and, and he didn't want to really talk about this. It was quite interesting around this airdrop because um, Grant tried to get information out of him. And it was like, it just wasn't. It was kind of like this, this t- taboo, you know, and, but what's interesting about it is that 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 almost this reluctance to engage with the idea of a token has actually landed up being part and parcel, I believe, of the success. I mean, we went through, I mean, about a month ago where, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere on crypto Twitter where people weren't like doing these airdrop posts. You know, it's kind of like, dude, I don't want to read your airdrop post. It's kind of like um, I'm immediately blocking people because of like, all these things, but it's like really has been a part of their success. It's almost been like, well, there might be a token and there might not be, and and maybe there will be. And when it comes, it comes. And if it comes, it will be very different to what it is that you guys were expecting. And I think it's been really a part of their success. You know, I mean, Arbitrum is interesting because it started out as a whale, a whale chain. You know, it was kind of like all the whales were there and, you know, like, the little guys would get completely like snowed under when these guys were trading. I mean, it was insane and it hasn't really changed, but what has happened is that they've just got serious volume now. Um, and it works, you know, it's works, it's cheap. It's essentially the best of Ethereum, you know, and it's interesting to see how it's going to play out. And um, imagine during a bull market, I think it's going to be insane. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you'll see like more, ETH mainnet projects deploying there too. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm super excited. I think it's a, a very interesting ecosystem. Before you go, because we're almost at the top of the hour, I wanted to just get your thoughts around um, Aura and where you see Aura going. Because I think there's, there's, there's almost like in many ways for the not so DeFi savvy people who are looking to invest in stuff and getting interested in the DeFi space. I think Aura is probably one of those things that has probably missed a lot of people. And I wanted to just get your thoughts around what your thoughts were on that project and, you know, why it is that you guys have embarked to do something with them. Yeah. I mean, we're huge fans of Aura. I think I like the way you framed it. It's very simple and the risks are somewhat bounded. Um, And by that, I mean, like, there are some sources of yield and probably sturdy falls into this to some extent where there's a lot of risks. And so in order to like kind of understand it, you, you need to be pretty savvy, right? Like if you're going to lend USDC on sturdy, uh, I kind of mentioned there's like these third party risks. So you would need to like be comfortable with convex and aura uh, and Lido. And you know, that, that's somewhat, if you're not familiar with DeFi, you know, and you don't know what projects are reliable and which aren't, that can be a little intimidating. Whereas with aura, it's much simpler and like kind of where the yield comes from, uh is very straightforward and how to use it is very straightforward so um from a just like a user and product perspective i like it 
Um, and then I, I think just in terms of the yields themselves, they were extremely compelling. Um, yeah. Like I, last time I checked the like WSD ETH and our ETH yields for those are, are like seven, eight percent, like nine percent. I mean, that's really, really good um, yeah. just for like naked ETH yields. So, uh, yeah, I think we, we've really enjoyed working with them uh, and are excited to like deepen that relationship for sure. Yeah, it seems like they they are positioning themselves, you know, from a like to be one of the darlings in the DeFi space at the moment. You know, you've got the right people that are talking about them because at the end of the day, you know, it's like it's all fine and well that you create a product, but who's actually talking about it? Because there's some really amazing products. I mean, you look at like Metis is a really good example of an amazing ecosystem and they've done a lot of things right there, but not enough people are talking about them. And because not enough people are talking about them. They're not seeing the success that they would necessarily deserve just purely because it's not because they don't have good tech or they don't have cheap transactions and the rest of it. It's like, who's talking about it? Whereas when you look at Aura and you look at what they're doing, everyone, everyone who's got big bags are talking about them. And it's not necessarily because they've got big bags of Aura, you know, like a lot of people kind of get it wrong, you know, like a lot of the stuff that I talk about, all the time i don't have an investment in it you know it's like i don't have an investment in sturdy because sturdy doesn't have a token but sturdy is fulfilling a role that is really important around this this particularly on leverage from borrowing and lending i mean that's what really is compelling about what it is that you guys are doing what does gmx do gmx is the next narrative for decentralized exchanges and how that mechanism works and you know you've got i saw I saw like the, the Dopex guys are looking to also set up a, a decentralized exchange. So it's all about that innovation. It's all about who's talking about it, you know. And and as soon as you start having like Sturdy starts having, you know, like the Tetranos of this world talking about your product and I'm getting good returns, I'm getting good yields, my money's safe, it's been audited correctly. That's when you essentially become, you know, of a of a version three or version four or you know, and, and that's what I think it's, you know, if I was building a project, that's what I would be aiming to do. Um, so here's to people talking about Sturdy and, you know, well done for what it is that you guys have done without launching a token. Really, it's it's impressive. And I really look forward to seeing how you guys navigate your next chapter, even though it's chapter two. I know you want to call it chapter one. I'll call it two. Um, pleasure to have you on, sir. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for all the, the great questions. I appreciate it. Cool, man. And yeah, maybe we can do this sometime um, in the future, call you in and check in on you guys. Um, maybe I'll get a message at some point where, listen, we might be ready to launch a token and then we can chat again or whatever it might be that you guys come up with. Maybe you'll launch an exchange when you're done with this and you let the community take over. Who knows? But yeah, good to have you on, sir. And yeah, take it easy. And thanks for your time. I really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking to us today. Yeah, thank you too. Take care.